Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. So um, we are in the, we're starting a new series this morning, right? So it's called, does anybody know what that says? Oh, it's sharp. All right. I was about to send it back to the graphic artist. Like, homie, I told you each one reach one, man, not reach one. And then I figured it out. I'm a little slow on it a little bit. All right, but yeah, so each one reach one, right? This is... Um, it's a preaching series we're doing, but it's a little bit more than a preaching series. Hit the clock for me back there, y'all. It's a little bit more than a preaching series because um, my hope is that this will become a part of our DNA, right? So the whole uh, each one reach one concept has a couple things that um, applications. Like one of them is praying for somebody. Like So we want the church, we want people in the church to focus on praying somebody that is lost, um, for somebody that's lost or whatever that you know, whether somebody at your job, whether it's a neighbor, whatever it may be, right? And then we also want people to invite one person to church just once a month, invite a new person to church, right? Just one person, all right? We can do that? All right, okay. And then we want people to have dinner with people at their house, a person you've never had dinner with once a month, all right? So y'all can clap a little bit at that. I don't know. Is that scary? All right. I'm trying to see everybody's faces. Everybody's like already thinking about meal plans and all that. It's, it's not going to be that hard, all right? You can meet them at Chuck E. Cheese or whatever. You can do whatever you want to, McDonald's. However, but we want you to share a meal with people because what I believe is I believe that um, some people say, yeah, Jay, it seems like you're so good at sharing the gospel. It's actually not really, really true. And sometimes I get stuck. And sometimes I invite people to church because they've known me for so long. And they're like, and I'm telling my homeboys, and they're like, yeah, man, you remember that one time, you know what I'm saying, you did, and I'm just like, oh, my God, this person can't get past the old me or whatever, whatever the case may be. So I'm like, let me bring them to church and meet some of my brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So I try to use the body and everything else to help me reach this person, and so God's glory is, is, is present amongst his people, so we need to actually bring people so they can hear the gospel and the good news that we have. So that's one of the reasons I want us to be inviting people and for it to be something that our church always does, right? Another thing, too, what better place to get to the nitty-gritty and have some real conversations than over at the dinner table, right? So we get to talk to people. You invite people, you have dinner, you get to meet somebody new or whatever. Um, and then if they leave and you don't like them, then you can do the last part and you can just pray for them from a distance, right? So it all works together, however it happens, right? But we want to hit all three of these right here, whatever. And I want it to be something that's living and existing that we actually do at our church. Um, next week, we'll have like little cards for you that actually has those three things on it. And we'll even probably make something that has a list where you can, whoever God's directing you to in your prayer time. Like it may, you know, I have some neighbors or whatever that, you know, I love them, but you know what I'm saying. I don't love them. And anyway, I want to start praying for them more. I really want to start praying for them more. And so, um, so I'm going to do that. But... Before we get into all of these things we're talking about and what we want you to do, we'll be preaching it out throughout the series. I want to start with making a really big case for evangelism, right, for sharing the gospel. Um, because I think none of this stuff matters. Eating dinner with people, um, inviting people, praying with people, it means nothing if you don't have a grasp of the gospel, the cross, and what the Bible says about us sharing the good news. You feel me? You can't even pray for somebody right if, you don't, if you're not doing it from a cross perspective, right? From a, a place where God has impacted you with your sin, 
pressed on it with his mercy, and now you want to give people what you've received. So I think that's the first thing we want to hit. So I'm going to just jump straight into uh, Matthew 28. We're actually not going to have scriptures on the screen today. So sorry for you people who use the iPhone. Well, you can get your iPhone and jump around. But there's people who bring the leather Bibles or whatever. Now you can, you can put it to work. So I want to hear some pages flapping this morning. You know what I mean? All right. Y'all ready? Are y'all awake this morning? Hit your neighbor and get a fist bump really quick. Just a fist bump, all right? Hit him with a fist bump. All right, cool. We got to wake up this morning. I know it's a gloomy morning. It's a gloomy morning, but we're about to talk about Jesus. Is that Ariel over here? What's up, Ariel? Ar- Hold on. Ariel's in the building real quick. What's going on? The gloom got to go now. All right, let's get to it. All right, Matthew 28, Great Commission, all right? About to see Jesus give the Great Commission, right? Send out the disciples. Verse 16, it says this, right? It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, unto the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven on earth has, has been given to me. In verse 19, this is where he drops the bomb. This is all of our instructions. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, right? So he takes the disciples, us, we're disciples of Christ, right? And he tells them, go hit the road, spread the good news, right? He doesn't get all super deep. He doesn't put it on fancy arguments, right? Right? 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2 says this, and so it says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? So you're going to share the gospel because if you're like me, back in the day, I used to want to share the gospel, but I used to be like, I need to learn a little bit more first. Um, I need to go do this first. I had all these hurdles I put up that would keep me from opening my mouth. And then I'd be like, oh, man, you know, but what if they come back with something? I'm going to look stupid. What if they ask a question I can't answer, right? So some of me sharing the gospel, it started turning into pride because I'm like trying to answer stuff or whatever. I'm like, no, no, in Revelations, what happens is this right here. The cherubim and the seven dragon, they're going to clash. You remember you saw Clash of the Titans? And they're going to come, and that's, it's just like that. That's it. I didn't know what I was talking about. But in my pride, I just didn't want to lose the argument at the moment. You know what I'm saying? And so, but this scripture, when he says, he says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. He's setting an example right there. What he's saying is, you don't got to know nothing. You can know you're a sinner saved by grace, right? If you, if, you, yo, if you understand and have had the cross impact your life, you're ready to drop a bomb in any room from day one, period. Discipleship, the, the core of it is that you become very poor in yourself and you become very rich in Christ Jesus, right? And the implication of understanding the cross. I want you to think about the thief on the cross or whatever. Say he, that wasn't his last moment. But let's say he's over there and he goes, I know I should be up here, but please have mercy on me. And let's say he just happened to not die in that moment. When he walks around, 
what do you think his story is going to be? He's going to be talking about a Jesus that saves wretches, guilty, filthy people, right? He's not going to be preaching the gospel is for good people, none of that stuff. He's going to be talking about the broken, hurting people who are on the bottom who seem like they just can't get it together, who are lost, sinful, without a way to save themselves, hopeless by all means, right? This, this is what you need to know to share the gospel. You don't need to know the, question, the answer to every single question in the Bible. It helps. Of course, we want to go deeper and learn more, but you don't need a fancy argument. You need the cross. It's as fancy as it gets, right? And you don't even have to slam dunk the whole conversation and bring everybody on in every time. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes, you know, back in the day, I'd be like, I just was trying to get somebody to say my prayer. You know what I'm saying? I have my little salvation prayer. I'm like, just repeat after me, brother. Like, I needed this to mark off my little tally. It's like when you're in jail and you do the little thing. I'm like, I got me one. I don't know whether they just met Jesus or what, or if they were sick of me and they just, I'm just, I'm just trying to get them to say a prayer so I could feel good. Like, boy, I'm out here dropping this word, man. You know what I'm saying? But really, I was making people uncomfortable and putting pressure on them and everything else. And I didn't know how to move in patience and trust the Lord, right? 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9 says this. It says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God, is, God has been making it grow. Who's been making it grow? God makes it grow, right? So you don't have to make the plant happen. You don't have to make people become Christians. You don't have to be the person that, you know, at the end of the discipleship, they go, you did this and you changed my life. And every time they tell a story, it's about you. It doesn't have to happen like that, right? So he says, I plant the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. We're, we're not anything in the end result. We have, no, no, we have no effect on it. It's the spirit of God who actually comes in and transforms somebody's heart, right, and turns them towards him. But he uses us in this work, right? It says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's fill, God's building, right? So we get to do this in a loving, patient way. I always tell people, I'm like, yo, we're in the middle of a long walk, right? There's no need to try to, like, we're not tallying a score here. So we can gracefully, lovingly walk through situations with people and share the gospel with them, be encouragement before them or whatever. Some people are like, man, I don't have any type of gifts I feel like I can use in the kingdom. But some people are like amazing at just encouraging people. And they're part of this watering process, right? Just, just things like that. You know what I'm saying? Just things like that, whatever. They're expedient and they mean something. And it's a part of responding to the Great Commission, right? All of these gifts and talents we have, right? So when it comes to the gospel, one of the things we have to do is we need to be intentional. You all agree with that? Yes. We have to be intentional. Um, I'm going to throw out some statistics stuff or whatever um, that I read or whatever, but this is a Barna group, and I think this is from like 2014. But it was talking about how the poor are actually the most evangelistic of all Christians, right? The poor. The rich, although... They say that it's, they, they believe they have the least responsibility of sharing the gospel. They actually meet the national average, right, for sharing the gospel, which is around like 50% or something like that, 52%. Don't quote me on any of this stuff. Don't ever quote me on any statistics ever, all right? But the middle class is actually the worst at actually sharing the gospel. Excuse me, let me say not the worst. They share the gospel the least, all right? 
So it makes me think when I'm reading this stuff, I'm like, why is it like that? Like, you know, like when I'm thinking when, when I'm reading statistics and I'm like, they're asking people about their responsibility to share the gospel. I'm thinking people are just going to be like 100% across the board. Of course we have to do. I don't care where your theology is at, whether, you, whether you're super Pharisee or whatever. I would think that people just would say, yeah, you should be sharing the gospel or sharing your Christianity or your um, moralism, whatever it is. Whatever they kind of dance with, I would think that people would think they would share it if it meant something. But people don't. And so you have to ask yourself why, right? And I think most of us know why. It's because it's hard. You feel me? Y'all know about you, like this week? Who's been on Facebook this week? So you know why it's hard, right? Hope you didn't see any of my posts at all. It's hard. It's really, really hard. It's hard when you're dealing with people and you get in this place where you're just like, you just want to win the argument or you feel you're so right. And so you want to crush them with your being right. You get where I'm coming from? Like, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I mean, literally, like, I've been so tired this week. I've been working so hard. But I get home at night and I just be like, you know, I'm like, let me look at Facebook real quick. I'm going to get into bed. I need to get some sleep. And I'm just like, hmm, what, what, hold on, what did he say? Up getting it. Like, dumb. Won't even go to sleep. Lana's like, baby, you coming to bed? I'm like, I'm coming. Hold on. I'm coming in a minute. Just trying to love somebody real quick to the truth, you know, and I'm just going in, like, you know what I'm saying? Doing this little, and it's, it's funny, whatever, because some, you know, people will say, Jay, man, you're, like, really graceful with people, even on Facebook. I feel so rotten a lot of times when I get done, like, responding to somebody, even when I'm, like, because I'm just in this balance, and I can, I can, even if it lands on the side where it seems like I was, you know, being loving, I still feel dirty because I know inside was stewing or whatever. And I'm just like, I just want to freaking crush this, like, you know, find this guy, whatever, this and that, da-da-da, whatever. So it's hard. It's hard. And we're in a situation right now, I think that this initiative is important for our church because I think we need to keep the fact that we need to share the gospel um, and, and make simple ways to share the gospel in front of us. But it's hard right now because we have a crazy amount of division in this country to me like I've never seen in my life right and in my opinion it's not new it's always been there there's always been this wall of hostility it's always been a wall of hostility it's just coming to surface and so I think it's just it's just coming to surface or whatever and it's ugly depending where you know no matter where you land on it it's ugly or whatever and it's hard to contend with but it does something where it puts us in this place where where are we at with the gospel and what do we really believe about the gospel Right. I don't know if that's the question that, that's in your heart, but it's I'm concerned for Christians in the middle of detention because I'm like, I don't see very many people approaching this from a biblical perspective. These arguments. Right. Um, and I'm including myself in that. And so I'm like, God, how do we continue to see you as you are in the middle of this? Right. You have this. This is what happens in the middle of these conversations or in the middle of this division. We end up becoming exactly what we're yelling at on the other side, right? So I always, always tell people this, like, everybody has their narrative for how they landed where they're at. You get where I'm coming from? And so the heartlessness in this world 
and that we often walk in as a church is very much is that we don't care about people's narrative. We don't care about their story, right? So you got somebody who's inside the KKK or whatever, right? I, may, I think that's the craziest thing in the world. But here's the thing. If I actually was to sit down and talk to somebody who's in the KKK and listen to their story and their, them growing up, I may not be surprised at how they got there, right? right? It, it, it may, I may even actually find out that I'm actually a little crazy and extremely illogical to think they would land anywhere else. But it actually takes me taking the time to spend with them to never find that out, right? It's easier for me to um, throw a rock at them. It's just easier. It's just easier to throw a rock at them. It's easy to say I hate what you represent. But when I throw a rock at them, I'm just like him. Because now I've taken what I represent, and it's better than you. And the fact of the matter is what we both represent is not better than each other because I'm not representing Christ at the moment. Even if I'm actually right about what I'm saying, the way I'm functioning is not what the cross is about. It's self-righteousness, which we know is war to the cross, right? I just want to give you a picture of what I'm thinking about. So when I'm seeing this stuff and I'm seeing the division and I'm getting caught up in the game, it makes me stop for a minute and go, God, you got to have something better than this. And he does. It's the cross, right? So we're playing this game going back and forth. And Christ, when he dies on the cross, when he comes and he lays his life down, he's like he's fully aware of the mess. He's not naive to it, but he stands over it. So the only way to actually function in this is to raise up over it and come to a cross level. I'm speaking figuratively, but let me kind of take you through the scripture and what we're talking about here, right? All right. I left my computer this morning, so I'm going to be doing some weird paper stuff like Jeremy does it. Pastor Jeremy does it. But I'm not going to slide it off like he gets done. Like when he does, we know he reads it and he just slides it off. He never picks those up, ever. I come back during the week and I'm just getting this whole sermon up. I'm like, man, he, he thinks this stuff is cool. My back is hurting trying to get this up. You know? So. All right. We have the good news to tell people. All right? Let me just read something to you. This is Matthew 5, 15 through 16. It says, neither do we light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it under, instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right? It's simple enough. If you have the gospel, you have the light of the world, you share the light. But when we get emotional... The light dims, and we start going for people's throat, right? We start going for people's throat. But if you have the light, just from an evangelistic standpoint, you can't, you can't get air while everybody's, start, while everybody's suffocating and not share the air. That's what that statement's saying, right? But this, this statement only has heavy relevance to you if, if you see the cross as air. Do you get where I'm coming from? If it's actually that important and significant. Do you, you understand? So you imagine a thief on the cross about to die, eternity awaiting him, and he actually believes I'm condemned, condemned to eternity in, in hell or separation from God. When he gets mercy, that thing is way better than air. Do you get where I'm coming from? God is just saying it's logical that you would never try to hide that light. I think any of us can rationalize that, right? Matthew 9, uh, 35 says this. It says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom 
and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. On behalf of the Father who is a righteous judge, right? He looks and he has compassion. Says he has compassion for them. He says they're like sheep without a shepherd. When I get caught up in these arguments or when I see people caught up in these arguments, I never, I never sense that people are actually grieving for the other person. That, you know, even we, we just hate their perspective. But, it, but we don't often grieve for what, what may have landed them there, whatever that story may be. You get where I'm coming from? It is, we don't often have a heart of compassion. And he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. The statement there is this right here. They have nobody to come lead them. They have nobody who will come into relationship and be a part of their story and walk with them, Right? Jesus, we see Jesus with the disciples. He calls them. They decide that they'll follow. I mean, it's, it's a logical statement to say a lot of them may not have even been believers yet. They take, when he called, they knew something was up, and they said, let's, let's roll and see what's going on. But you can see by the ignorance of some of their arguments and statements, it's like you don't get this, that. Jesus is still asking them, who do you say I am? I mean, who do people say I am? Who do you think I am? Do you know, have you caught it yet? So he's not quantifying whether, whether they're good enough to roll with them. You understand what I'm saying? You need somebody to roll with because you're lost. He has compassion. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, man, where, where are we at if we don't function with compassion? If we, if the people are God, of God are not the people who are, looking at what's happening in the world, and I'm not saying you don't engage in conversation, have real conversations, but they have to be salted to bring truth and to walk people to Christ. You have to, even if you don't think you're wrong, you have to give room for there to be grace in the conversation, for people to be able to yell back at you and you disarm it, even though you feel like you're getting disrespected and everybody in the world's like, Jesus sucker, man, homeboy just called him this, he didn't even respond. The pride comes in there, right? I'm just being real. I want to hear some more amens because I see some of y'all on Facebook. You know what I'm saying? But maybe you're just being quiet because you're like, mm, I just posted right before service. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But I'm running this off of just looking in the mirror and looking at my own stuff, right? And looking at our stuff or whatever. It's how we are or whatever. It is what it is. We go for people's throat. But we have a great opportunity right now to share the gospel because as this division it's just stirring and stirring and stirring. The truth looks so much, looks so beautiful in the middle of it because people don't have an answer. We can scream and scream and scream and scream and state our case, but how often have you had somebody be like, man, you know what? You are exactly right, man. I'm the biggest racist in the world. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's so crazy. Like, I'm glad you told me that. Like, hold on, you see how I spit? Sorry. Anyway, I'm glad you told me that. I'm really glad you told me that, and um, you want to go hang out. It doesn't happen like that, right? 
It doesn't happen. And we don't want it to happen like that. We want to hurt somebody's feelings. That's what we want. We want them to be like, I don't even got nothing to say back to them. You know, that's when we feel good. Like, yeah, man. See, you ain't came back and logged on a couple days. We, that, like, that's the stupidness or whatever. Like, that's our flesh. We want to please our flesh in argument. All right? And it's way easy to complain about people. Our heart likes it. It's hard. It, it, it's hard to pray for people. It's hard to pray for people. And a lot of times when we pray for people, we pray because we feel guilty because we went at their throat so hard. Right? It's hard to humble yourself and admit your sin in a situation, right? John 13, 35 goes out the window for us often. It says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It happens even relationally in the body. Somebody missteps, somebody shows up, I don't like the way they move, whatever this and that, they do this, whatever, I can't stand working with them. It's hard to get that real prayer. It just feels good to just kind of go at their throat, right? What I'm trying to say in the whole thing I'm trying to say right now is that we're playing in this carnal place, and we're completely missing the gospel and what the gospel says about these situations. God is not naive to the difficulty we have sometimes relating. He's not naive to people just being halfway crazy sometimes, right? He's not naive that people are going to actually take advantage of you, right? Some of y'all might invite some people over for dinner and your meal's a little good and they may not eat that good all the time. Some might be trying to make up little dinner dates just to get a good meal on you. But God is not, it's not what the situation is, right? He wants us to lavish each other with love, right? Not just go at each other's throats, right? So it actually takes effort and intentionality to even get to true prayer. Prayer that actually comes from a place where you are being impacted by the cross of Jesus, right? And you're actually praying for people and wanting to lavish them with the love that you've received from Christ as well. Does that make sense to you? It, it, it's, it's important. Because we know it's important that that's the place where you pour out from. And it's important that it, you make it a pit stop, even if you're on Facebook and you feel the need to respond, to maybe spend a little time with Christ before you start to speak. With the idea of when I post this, I'm concerned about their statement. I want to respond, but I also want to work to actually win this person to the glory of God, right? It's so foreign, it almost sounds silly to people. They'd be like, all right, okay, okay. All right, it, but it's, it's real. It's really what the Father really requires of us and asks of us, right? All right, let me get my next section. Y'all bear with me. All right. All right, y'all with me? All right, let's talk obligation and calling, all right? What the Bible says about this obligation, this responsibility we have when it comes to sharing the gospel. And how I want you to see how it actually is framed in the word of God, all right? So this is Romans 15. It says, we who are strong have an obligation. A what? Obligation. To bear with the failings of the weak. I'm going to read that to you one more time. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, right? This statement right here is so important. Hold on, let me finish it. It says, with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The reason this statement is, is just monumental is because most things when it comes to believers, 
we have, you know, even in churches, we have, a, we have ways to flush out people that don't just kind of work and move with the groove all the time. Do you get where I'm coming from? So it's like, we don't, we, we don't work through people having, you know, failures and everything else. Right? There is a standard. There is the word of God. And some people, when they bump into it, and they'll, they'll run. That is true or whatever. But most of the time, um, this is why you see so much classism in church. Right? If you look at churches, you see the classism and how it actually works and everything else. And churches kind of, everybody kind of votes the same. Everybody economically or financially are kind of on the same status and everything else. It's because we actually usually structure them to please ourselves. And then when they're structured to please ourselves, then people who are deemed weaker, they can't really get a place at the table. You get where I'm coming from? So we, the scripture saying, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So it means that when it comes to esteeming others higher than yourself and moving with patience and love, you don't crush people because they are not up with you, you take a couple steps back to walk with them. You get where I'm coming from? Take a couple steps back to be where they're at as a stronger Christian, right? But let's keep reading this because it's costly. It says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up, right? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Listen right here. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So it's basically saying the scriptures that are written in former days, they're trying to tell us something. And what they're trying to tell us is to stay awake. Right. So it started off with this statement about having an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. It's saying Stay awake because the scripture showed you this. And it tells you, it says it's costly. So it's costly to love people. Let me tell you something. When you go and you actually invite people to your dinner table or when you hit people up and you, or, or even if you just start praying for somebody and you actually focus on somebody, stuff is going to happen. Right? I don't like talking to one of my neighbors because every time he comes over, he comes over with his political opinion. And he moves a little lofty, so it's like he crushes me with it, and I can't get a word. And I get mad, and I just want to go off on him. And so I'm in that place where sometimes I don't say anything because I'm like, I'm in this place where, like, if I respond, it's going to be sinful. So I just, I'm going to shut up. And so lately, I've just been dealing with my heart. I'm like, God, I need to start praying for this guy because I can just settle it being mad at him, right? But I want to pray for him. But I had, I, I've been having to get my heart right to even get the prayer right, you know, because, you know, I want the prayer to be like, Lord, pray that his mortgage is too high for him and that <laughs> some good old believers will come, bring Ariel back and let her move over there and just, you know, like, I want to go like that. You know what I'm saying? But that's not what God wants me to do. God wants me to pray for this man, right? The scriptures are trying to keep us awake, and it's trying to keep us charged up with hope, right? It says, for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Let me show you something real quick. That comes from Psalm uh, 69.7. Psalm 69.7 says this. It says, 
For it is for your sake that I have borne reproach, that dishonor has covered me, covered my face. I have become a stranger to my brothers and alien to my mother's sons, for the zeal for your house has consumed me. So let me just stop you right there. What's going on right there is that the man of God is actually saying the zeal for your house. In other words, God, your, your impact of what you have, of who you are and how you've opened my eyes to you, it's consuming me. So just to bring it where we're at, the cross, right? That's Old Testament. New Testament, you're saying this cross has done a number on me, and I'm not my own no more, and it's, it's consuming me, right? I'm, I'm losing myself as I'm finding you, right? It says, for the zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. He's saying, God, I'm actually suffering the disdain that people have for you, right? People's disdain for you is now actually falling on me because I'm actually moving and functioning and following your example. Do you get where I'm coming from? The point I'm trying to make is that it's not just a walk in the park to go share the gospel. There will be rejection. There will be mockery, right? And he says, when I wept and humbled my soul with fasting, it became my reproach. He's saying basically when I was bur burdened for the things of God, right? When I'm burdened about the world. So some people are trying to get to the most comfortable life they can get to. And there's certain things they have to protect to make that be the case, right? They have to protect their lifestyle. They may have to protect everything. So every way you move may be, it, it may, they, they may have to crush what you're on if you're on loving the lost, loving people that are unlovable, if you're on inviting people to dinner that your neighbors think are scary, and they're like, hey, sh hey, what's going on over there? Are y'all all right? Do I need to call the cops? No, don't call cops. Okay, just call us. Whatever, we got them on speed up. They're going to be looking at like, who in the world do you got at your dinner table tonight? Right? I'm just saying, this is how it really works. So when he said, when I wept and I humbled, my soul with fasting became my reproach. Saying the things of God, I'm looking, at the, I'm looking at the city, I'm looking at what's broken, I'm looking at the state of people, and he's actually hurting. But it became his reproach. He says, when I made sackcloth my clothing, I became a byword to them. When I'm, in other words, when I'm dealing with my own sin, when I'm in repentance, when I'm walking in the light, I'm foolish to the world. He says... I'm the talk of those who sit in the gate and the drunkards make song around me, but make songs about me. But as for me, my prayers to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, right? I just wanted to jump you there so you can get an idea of what that statement means when it says, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. When you see that up here in Romans 15, it says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let's take a step back. Let's get at our neighbor's speed, right? So I need to go over there and go watch some news, you know what I'm saying, watch Fox News with my neighbor a little while. It's, no, it's not a jab. I'm just playing. I'm just saying. Or whatever it is. Or maybe your neighbor's extra liberal. You need to go watch my man. I forgot with the white hair or whatever and the blue eyes. I don't know. What's his name? Cooper. Yeah. All right? You know Anderson Cooper is not a real person, right? They actually digitally made him up. He just looks too perfect on TV, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, it's just crazy or whatever. But anyway, we'll talk about that later. It's my conspiracy theory. I don't think, he, I think he's a robot. It's just my opinion, all right? It's just my opinion. I don't know. You just do what you want to or whatever. 
you know? If you watch him every now and then, he's like, like he does like this little thing, whatever, like a robot thing, and I don't know if he's human. That's my thing, all right? All right, let me get back to it real quick. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he's giving us the example of Christ. He didn't please himself. Everything wasn't about him, right? Church didn't always have to move the way he wanted it to move, right? This is, I'm just giving an example. It doesn't always have to move and work like he wants it to work, right? Because at the end of the day, he's looking for the will of his father to be done, right? So he took a step back. But when you take a step back to move in what God's called you to do, you will suffer those reproaches. But it's all good, right? It says, for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that, the, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope despite what we're dealing with. And it says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So the end result of what he's actually talking about here, this picture he's painting, is not that we all move, function, have the same exact opinions and everything else, right? But that we actually bring people into the fold and in the kingdom and that we begin to experience Christ and have complete unity in who Christ is as he's impacting and transforming us. But we don't fall apart while he's transforming us from different directions. Maybe your family history is that you come from a family that was in the KKK. Maybe I come from a family history that was black power to the max, right? But we find our unity in the cross of Jesus Christ as sinners that need saving, right? And then we take a step back on our thing and having to be right so we can find unity as we continue to be transformed and find this beautiful, this beautiful thing that's happened in the cross that begins to bring our hearts together. Do you get where I'm coming from? So we have to have the cross up here because if we stay, if we, it, 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 it has to be like this because if we just are going like this, and we're on Facebook war mode, it's done. It's done, right? It's done. Let me read a little bit more to you. Hold on. Let me circle my papers up real quick. All right. What's our obligation as believers? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Right? He is a new creation, which means that we play the game different. We play the game different. It means we do Facebook different. I'm going to just be real with you. We do Facebook different. And the reason I'm making that statement or whatever is because the reason it needs to be said because we need to know we are actually sinning when we, when we engage in arguments from a carnal perspective, right? Because if Christ is everything to us, when we don't move how he moves, then we're sinning, right? It should grieve us. It should grieve us when the truth is brought before us. I want us to say that because I don't want us to be nonchalant about this. I'm talking about Facebook and everybody's like, all right, Facebook and everything. I'm just using that as an example because it's easy to grab when I'm talking about this sin. But what I'm really talking about is us trampling on the gospel to please ourselves, right? In arguments and disputes. Not going the way of Christ and uplifting truth because we need the truth of what we believe we stand on to be to win the argument. Do you get where I'm coming from? So it's a grievous sin. I just want us to know it's a grievous sin. All right? 
So we're a new creation. That means we're called to something new. It says the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Right? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So just think about that really quick. How crazy we are in the middle of disputes when we hold people's trespasses against them. When Christ, God our Father, right, has removed in our trespasses. I don't know if you grab a hold of that, but I can't fathom. I know the dirt God didn't cover over for me. It's the craziest thing in the world for me to hold anybody at bay because of their sin. It's crazy. But I'm still foolish enough to do it. Still foolish enough to do it. Do it all the time. Really, really do. And I have to come before the cross and repent for it, right? And find that mercy brand new. But, we're, but, it's, but I need to know it is utter craziness in light of the scripture and what he's done, right? Then it's the neglect of the responsibility he's given us. Through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So it means that as Christians, we, 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 have a, we have a responsibility, right? We have a responsibility. It's not something that you do out of just because you have to do it. But it, 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 the, the assumption here for when we're talking to believers is that if you've seen Christ, that this is actually the fruit of what comes out of seeing Christ, right? So if you're in the crowd and this is falling on you, you go, I don't feel like that about people then the thing is not to go, let me go get to work and get on my each one reach one campaign really hard. It's to get on, let me get before Christ and come before him in prayer and say, God, please transform my heart because I don't really love people like that. That's not, you're not crazy for that. You're not the elephant in the room if you feel that way. My boy just told me that the other day. We were hanging out and some guy came and talked to me or whatever and we talked for mad long and the guy was getting on our nerves and everything and my friend was just like, bro, I hate when people come talk to me. I don't know how you talk to people like that or whatever. He was just like, I don't like people. I was like, bro, you need to look. You're missing the cross then. I'm like, you're missing the cross. You profess to be a believer. I'm like, it's, I'm, I get it. You don't like people. But the problem is you need to spend time with Jesus, right? All right. It says, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who, know, who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul is talking about a regenerated heart, right? embodying a desire to see people, to see the lost, to see the confused, to see your neighbor next door who gets on your nerves, right? To see um, people who will, quist, will, will twist um, statistics, numbers, data, manipulate conversations just to maintain their comfort, their self-righteousness, just to win an argument. People who will crush other people, the worst of the worst. People inside of doing time right now for crimes that are so horrible we don't even want to speak of them. They're actually included in this. But that doesn't land, right? 
It doesn't land. If you don't spend your life walking in the light as a believer, you, then you live in this way where you can constantly separate yourself from other people's sins, right? So this week I've looked at people's posts and I found myself extremely hurt, like in a deep level, just as a person, right? Just as a human being, hurt. I start typing. If you've seen any of my posts, it's probably after like seven or eight edits. But as I'm typing, I'm like, all I'm doing is actually mirroring what they said from another angle. You get where I'm coming from? So I have this person in the most horrible box ever. You're responsible for the whole world being broken. And then I'm, then I'm finding out I'm them. You feel me? It's like how the Bible says that, yo, if you commit a sin, you're guilty of all of them, basically, right? Not even basically, most definitely. It's because there's this commonality. Maybe your sin is not, maybe it's not exercised the way somebody else would exercise it, right? Maybe you're not a rapist, but maybe you look at porn. I'm just going to be real. It's very easy for us to draw the lines of the heart being the same, right? The dehumanizing of somebody else, right? It goes on and on. It's very easy to look at corporate greed and then let's go gentrify neighborhoods and feel like we're better than them. But we don't want to stop to ask the questions that may need to be asked to see how we're actually loving our neighbors because we want something at the moment. And this is how our sin, where, that we think is little, is very consistent to, to the big, ugly stuff. We are the big, ugly stuff. And we're hopeless without Jesus. You get where I'm coming from? But here's the thing. The cross is so beautiful, you don't even have to walk around in condemnation. You get to walk around in conviction, right, and go, oh, God, I didn't even catch that. That's so ugly. And then, oh, my God, the cross comes so deep because I'm still so free right now. I'm still so saved by his grace right now. I still got his mercies every morning, even though I just discovered this new ugly thing. I get to see how deep this beautiful thing goes called Jesus Christ and his cross and his mercy and his grace. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? I'm just saying you have to stay at the sweet spot. But when you're walking in the spirit, the sweet spot is this thing where you're seeing the ugly. Walking in the light means that you're free to walk in step in puddles. But to know that God has you covered. You understand what I'm saying? That you're not going to drown. Listen how Paul describes his, oblig his obligation in Acts 24, 20, uh, 24. He says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I, have, that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, right? So in, in 2 Corinthians 5 where we see we're entrusted to this message of reconciliation, sharing the good news and sharing the gospel, right? Paul has taken that on and it's become of the utmost value for him. He's like, God, you've actually saved me. 
and you give him this, this mission to run and spread the good news. And he's in this place where it's like that's, where he, that's what he wants to do. I talked to you the other week. We talk about the word anxiety like it's so bad. But Paul even described, he said, I have an anxiety for the people of God, the people you've called me to disciple, and also the people that we're pursuing with the gospel. It's on my mind all the time. He's not moving nonchalant, caught up in fairy tale world like every, like the world is okay. He consciously understands that people are actually lost and that he has the gospel that saves people and redeems the most broken people, right? And God has entrusted him to share it. Do y'all get where I'm coming from? If this doesn't land to you in a really, really deep way where it kind of grinds into your stomach, it's okay. Because we got a good God and he has mercy. But come before him with it. Pray about it. Pray for God to continue to do a work to turn that up, to turn the spirit up in your heart where you grieve for the loss, right? So when you drive downtown, you don't see people doing crazy stuff. You're like, oh. But you go, God, there's a savior. Father, Lord, you, this, the only thing in between this thing is Jesus right here and me opening my mouth and sharing it. Do you get where I'm coming from? And maybe at that moment you can't handle it, but you can throw a prayer. You can throw a prayer. It's not a game. Prayer isn't a joke. Hold on. I'll get there in a second. All right. All right. Hold on. Let me check my papers. All right. It's the bottom line right here. Romans 10, verse 1. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, is that they may, for them, is that they may be saved. That's Paul. He, he, he rests in this place, right? He's, Paul has more of a, a grief with the Pharisees and the self-righteous than he does even the lost, right? If you, if, if you read through Paul's kind of posture in the word of God, it's just a given, right? The calling was to the Gentiles. It's like he, 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 he got that from the Father, he received that, and that was it. This is what I'm called to run to. But as it pertained to even the Jews and those who were self-righteous and had believed in their own righteousness, which he believed was completely a disrespect to Jesus Christ, right? You constantly hear him praying for them and, and yearning for them. You understand what I'm saying? And still finding some type of godly esteem for them and even their position when he preaches. When he talks about us being grafted in and the wall of hostility being broken down. He has this hope where most people would throw a middle finger up. Where most people would say, slit their throat, kill them. Like, get them out of here. They're the worst of the worst. Right? But he still, as this believer, because of the calling that Christ has given him, entrusted him with, entrusted us with, he, 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 doesn't, he refuses to play the game down here. He, play, he refuses to go just side to side and sword fight with him. He keeps, he keeps coming from up high because he has a call in the job. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like we are called to bring the good news to people. And the good news is not 
bad news. It's good news, right? The bad news is if we're left to ourselves and to our own righteousness, we're through. Jesus on the cross, he says, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can't even comprehend anything like that. He raises the fight to a whole new level. He raises the fight to a whole new level. And he puts his life, he lays it down so we can fight on that level for the rest of our lives. Do you understand that? Like he gave us, he, he entrusted us with something that cost his life so he could redeem us. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation because he said, you hate me and you want me on this cross. But he still prayed for God to forgive us. And out of his grace and mercy, he opened our eyes to be his children and follow him. And then he gave us the ministry, the ministry of reconciliation, making disciples out of the people who hate God. That's what God is up to. If you didn't know that, that's what he's up to. That's what the cross is about. It's about his glory. But he is displaying his glory by taking people who are actually his enemies and making them his children. So when we're on our Facebook, when we're in our conversations, when our neighbors feel like they're stepping on us, right, or we feel like we've just been done bad by the system, all of that stuff is real and all of that stuff actually hurts. But take that pit stop and get before the Lord and look at the cross and what it actually is, right? And what he's actually doing. Because if you're entrusted to this fight, then that thing gets really small. you got another battle to fight than to go back and forth. Our fight is actually opening our mouth to share the gospel. Our fight sometimes is just sitting with people and let them sing the most ignorant stuff in the world. There's a lady or whatever that used to work with me. I just seen her not too long ago. And I remember she used to come to church, come to work, whatever. She used to work with me. And me and my friends used to come in and tell our stories from our weekend and all the crazy stuff we were doing, all the drugs we were doing and everything else. And, you know, our little stories. And once I became, once God saved me, all of a sudden it hit me one day, this woman, what she had tolerated from our mouths and it just grieved me and I was just like this woman's a Christian like she's a real Christian and she sat there and she always loved us and fed us and kept us close and preached to us and she endured the most disrespectful mess from us just just she had every right to be like y'all are despicable and she never did it and I ran to her in a restaurant a couple months ago, and I got to tell her. I said, I'm a pastor now. And she was like, what? She's like, I prayed for y'all so much. I said, y'all are crazy. Y'all were crazy. I just went and saw this guy I've been doing business with for 20 years. I went in his office with a couple of my friends, and he was telling my friends. He's like, yep. He said, when Jay and them used to come to the office, they'll call and say, yeah, we're coming through. He's like, I used to get my gun and just load it up and put it right there. He's like, they're just drugged out of their mind. They're crazy. He's like, I was just scared. He said, I can't believe he's a pastor. He said, I can't believe he's a pastor. People were praying for me. Praying for me. My mom was praying for me. People were praying for y'all. People were riding by you somewhere or whatever. You didn't even see them. They were praying for you. 
I'm going to end the sermon with that. Let's pray really quick.